It's time once again for this Board Game Life episode number 27 titled On the Road Again. This is the show that was recorded on Monday, July 29th, 2013 in the This Board Game Life studios just outside of Chicago, Illinois. I'm Rob, your host for today. On today's show, I'll continue covering the backlog of games that I've played over the past couple of months. Also, work has had me traveling to Virginia where I get to visit, uh, where I got to visit, four game stores located in the Richmond and Charlottesville areas. Also, we have the question of the show once again with a doozy of a question regarding the recent big deal that's happened in the gaming hobby over the past week. So sit back and relax, especially if you've been partying it up over at Tomorrowland this past weekend, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to another awesome episode of This Board Game Life. Before we get on with the show today, I just want to let everybody know that I've started a new YouTube channel for This Board Game Life, where we'll have all sorts of cool video content for everybody, including uh, all sorts of stuff like uh, quick looks, unboxings, reviews of games, uh, all sorts of stuff, uh, and not necessarily even limited to those three things that I just listed off there. So make sure to check it out. It's uh, youtube.com this slash this board game life. That's youtube.com slash this board game life. And uh, definitely subscribe to the show, subscribe to the channel. Uh, so you're alerted to when new, new content gets uh, posted up there. All right. So let's get on with the show. The first game that I want to talk about is Fleet. This was... Uh, released in 2012 by Griffin Games and designed by Matt Riddle and Ben Pinchback. It's a game, it's a card game for two to four players. Uh, it plays in about 30 minutes or so. First game, expect to go at least 45 minutes until you get used to it. And then uh, age range is from 10 and up. Now, this is a game that I've played at least a dozen times, and it's a fantastic, fantastic game. I really love this game. And everybody that I've introduced the game to has really, really enjoyed it. The game has a couple of different, uh, you know, uh, phases to it or me- mechanisms to it. There's an auction and bidding phase that you start off with each turn. And then it goes into a hand management phase where you have a hand of cards and you do various things with them. Now, the cards in your hand are going to be uh, different fishing vessels, like a lobster boat, shrimp boat, uh, and whatnot. And each of these will have multiple uses. So, for example, in the lower left-hand corner, there's little uh, money coins from one to three coins. So you use these cards as money. On the upper right, there's a victory point uh, listing on there. So it shows you how many victory points that card's worth. On the upper left is the cost. So when you're casting it as a boat, it's how much, uh, how many cards you have to pay for it with. So some will be two, a uh, value of two. So you have to pay two to cast it. And then also these cards are used as captains. So you flip it over and show the backside. And that signifies that a particular vessel is captained. All right, so how does the game play? Well, first phase is you go through and you're bidding for licenses. Licenses are 
what let you cast certain boats. So uh, a shrimp license will let you cast out a shrimp boat. You start uh, bidding for them. There's a minimum cost to each one, and the winner has to pay for this particular license with cards from their hand. So if you win with five, you, if you say that you want five for the, or you're going to pay five for the shrimp boat license, then you have to pay five coins from your hand somehow. And I believe there's a rule that says you can't bid for it uh, if you don't, if you can't pay for it. So uh, at that point, you discard the uh, coins from your hand and you put the license in front of you. The more licenses of a particular type that you have, the more of a benefit you have. So for example, shrimp uh, licenses let you get a discount on purchases in the auction and for launching. One shrimp license lets you get a discount of one coin. Uh, two shrimp licenses give you two, three, and four appropriately. And each of them is, each of these cards, license cards, is also worth victory points at the end of the game as well. So once you have this in front of you, uh, you can then move on to the next phase where you can now launch a particular type of boat that you have a license for. So in this case, we use the shrimp as an example. You can now launch shrimp boats if you have a shrimp boat card in your hand. Uh, there will be a cost associated with in the upper left where you'll have to pay for it. So you, you pay for it with by discarding cards in your hand. After that, you can captain a boat. And by captaining, you take another card from your hand, you flip it over and you put it underneath your boat. At this point, your boat is now captained and it can actually go out and fish. Run through the phases real quick. There was the auction bidding. There was the, the casting of the boat, the captaining, and then the next phase is fishing. Any boat that has a captain on it will receive one fish cube. And those are also points at the end of the game, one point for each fish. There's a maximum of four per boat, so you definitely want more boats. And that's pretty much about it. It doesn't sound like a lot, but this game is really cool because you get to manage your hand and uh, you just start raking it in after a while. You know, you're launching boats, you're, you're paying for things, you're getting benefits. You know, again, the shrimp licenses give you discounts. Tunas let you get extra cards. Uh, lobsters will let you captain extra boats. I believe it was cod that... Uh, lets you cast extra boats, uh, two boats instead of one. So uh, it's it's really cool to build up the licenses and you just kind of get this engine going and you're really looking to build this engine so you get lots of cards. You keep getting cards because if you don't get cards, that's what's basically just going to annihilate you in this game because everybody's going to run away with being able to cast all these boats and you're going to be sitting there saying, I have no boats, I have no fish, and you're, you're just going to, drown per se and then uh the final thing is uh you just draw a card if you have the appropriate uh, license i believe it was a tuna you get a draw bonus at this point where you can draw up to three cards uh additional so that's that's fleet and it uh it plays really well it's really smooth it's really enjoyable the art on the cards is really nice. Uh, it's got this like background to it that looks like uh, weather-worn 
like old parchment paper and then the uh that's the licenses and then the the ship cards they have like a portal that you see a particular ship uh through there and it's definitely got like a fishing feel to it it's got really wonderful art the box is really small it's a little bit bigger than you know your typical um, I don't know those boxes that Fantasy Flight games that come in. Uh, it's a little bit bigger than that, and the game doesn't fit in there too well. I mean, it's it's a very close fit. I usually kind of have to, you know, work the the bag of the blue cubes so that it fits in there a little bit better. Um, uh, I've seen some people get a little creative and use foam core for this. Uh, I don't know that's something I might want to do in the future. The rules are pretty decent. There's some things that are not 100% clear, at least they weren't to me, but watching some videos on the game really, really helps. Again, you know, this is Fleet. It's a fantastic, fantastic game. Uh, I really recommend this game to anybody that likes card games. And maybe even if you don't like card games, give it a shot. At least give it a try. And if you play it, play at least two times, maybe three times before you... uh, you know, make a final decision on it because it takes a little bit to really kind of figure out the system and to see like the elegance of the game to see how you can kind of make that engine because you might not be able to get that engine on your first try because, you know, you don't do a a good combination of license cards or, or whatnot, but definitely give this game a shot. It's a fantastic, wonderful game. I definitely recommend it. It'll be staying in my library for quite some time. I don't think I'm going to part with this one. There is a expansion that's coming out uh, in the near future. It's supposed to make the game even better. I'm definitely going to be interested in checking that one out. Uh, I'll probably pick it up without, uh, you know, even finding anything out about it. It's like a, a must-buy for me almost. So that's uh, Fleet from uh, Griffin Games. Okay, the next game that I want to talk about is Copycat. This is a game that was released in 2012 by Freedom and Freeze, the designer, and published by uh, 2F Spiel, which is his company. It's a, uh, for two to four players and plays uh, in about an hour and a half or so, uh, maybe a little bit more. Uh, again, on the first game, it'll probably take you more. Now, this is a game that uh, made a little bit of press uh, when it was being designed by him. I mean, he did uh, share a lot of information about this game, and there were some prototypes that were available. The whole premise of this game was that he was going to copy some uh, procedures, mechanisms, whatever you want to call them, from a bunch of different games, really popular games, and he did it with permission, which is, uh, is really cool. He took uh, a couple of the mechanisms from uh, Dominion, a roll through the ages, Agricola, and I believe there's something else. There's another one as well, but it kind of escapes me right now. So you get uh, you know a combination of some of the things from all these popular games, and it's lumped into one. And it's actually a decent game. It I was really kind of uncertain to of, of how this would turn out. I mean, I was thinking like you know, can it really be a decent game? Well, it, it is. It's it's actually a fairly fun game. I don't really know if it has staying power, at least with me after playing it a bunch of times, you know, I was, I was ready for something else and we really haven't played it, uh, in in quite some time now. 
And this is one that uh, I've played exclusively two players so far. Yeah, so let's see kind of what the game's all about. All right, it's uh, again a combination of a bunch of different games. It's got cards laid out on the uh, very, very large board, and they get uh, turned up uh, one by one in the different turns, kind of like from Agricola. It's got a number of cards down at the bottom, which is uh, kind of like the market or you're going to be purchasing cards from, and that is uh, taken from the um, uh, through the ages, and you have a hand of cards that you're basically building, you know, deck building style, like from Dominion. The art on the game is uh, is is really nice. Uh, the board is uh, very cartoony. It's artsy, and the cards, the art on the cards, kind of pokes fun at popular people. <laughs> politicians and and so forth if you look at the art on the on the box itself on the front it's freedom and freeze he's uh in the same pose and the same look as the campaign poster for uh president obama here in the united states but it's uh very similar arts to most of his other games the components are really good quality and uh you know let's see kind of briefly like how it plays so at the beginning of each turn uh there will be one card that gets turned up and there's uh 11 11 or 12 cards are, are turned down at the beginning of the game and they're uh they're pretty constant for the most part there's a little bit of variation with these as they uh will show up in various positions in different games cuz they get shuffled together and there's eight spots which are uh, constant because they're printed on the board. And they're places where you put your little meeple figures. So each of these spots will give you some kind of benefit. Like it'll give you an additional worker or, or it'll give you money. There's, there's a whole bunch of different things that, that they'll give you. So you go and you place your people down and you alternate and your know, people steal spots from you, which is all in good fun. Uh, at that point, uh, you claim the benefits. Uh, there's also cards down at the bottom, which you would purchase. Uh, again, you know, some of the cards are free all the way in the left and they get more expensive on the right. So what you're basically doing is you're going through and you're basically purchasing cards. You're getting more benefits and ultimately, you know, getting uh, a victory points. Well, that's that's kind of the gist of it. Uh, there's a, a large score track around the outside of the board, which uh, does, at least in my printing, it does have a misprint on it. In the in the '90s, if you look, uh, if you have this game, you'll definitely look there. If you if you don't know that it's there, I'm sure most people already do. Uh, and also, the game that we got, it had uh, a missing meeple so one of the colors was short uh one meeple and another one had an extra one so the publisher was uh, kind enough to send a replacement out fairly quickly so that was awesome that they did that but thanks rio grand yeah so i mean that's copycat basically it, it's a really enjoyable game i, I really liked it but they, again i don't know if it's got the staying power it's it's got some of the better mechanics from a bunch of popular games all lumped into one people will enjoy it 
but I think after a while people will tire of it. I still recommend this game, although uh, nowhere near as fleet. And the box is huge. It's massive. I really think that they could have made it a little bit smaller so it fits better with games uh, that are similarly sized. But uh, that they didn't. So it's it's going up on the top of the bookshelf, which makes it a little bit harder to, uh, to reach, unfortunately. So uh, that was Copycat by Freedom and Freeze. All right, another game that I want to talk about briefly is The Resistance. This is a game... That came out in 2009. Uh, Don Eskridge is the designer. And uh, the version that I've got is from uh, Indie uh, Boards and Cards. It's a really interesting game. I had never uh, played this. I'd had it for such a long time. And I finally got a, a play-in of this game. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it requires at least five players. And you know, I don't, I don't think it needs much of a description because, you know, everybody's probably familiar with The Resistance, Werewolf, and and all the, the similar games like it where basically the group is split into, um, like for Resistance, you have The Resistance and you have Spies. So the Spies are trying to ruin the plans of The Resistance as they try to overthrow the government or whatnot. And uh, the resistance is, uh, you know, trying to get away with it, uh, knowing that there's spies in their midst. It presents uh, some interesting, interesting interaction with people. You know, a lot of times the games that we play, you know, are kind of like multiplayer solitaire or whatnot. Or, you know, you get a little bit of auctioning. And this was really interesting because it really tested people's relationships in, in some ways where, you know, the people that... You're you're trying to look at them to see if they're acting strange or if they're you know blatantly lying. I guess if they're that they're not spies. You're trying to figure people out, so it's it's kind of like a mental mind type of thing as well. But you know the the game was really interesting. It's quick fun. The games play in just uh, you know probably twenty minutes or so. I think BG lists it as thirty minutes. But I, I bet I could probably play a little bit quicker. Well, I guess it depends on how many people, because uh, it plays five to ten. If you got ten people, it'll probably definitely take longer. But uh, the game was really interesting. I'm not gonna talk too much about it. it. It was it was a lot of fun. Just how different it was, because you know instead of pushing pieces around on boards or whatever, it's it's more of a human game. It's more of a people game and and, you know, trying to outwit others. And there was a, a pretty cool interaction that we had in one of the games where I was a spy and um, another guy at the table was a spy. So I almost like blatantly blew that I was a spy because uh, it was a two-person mission that went out and I was, you know, I was a spy and I failed the mission. So everybody knew one of us was a spy. They didn't know who it was. But I knew that right after that, uh, the other spy would go and he would blow it. So, you know, we wound up winning the game. It just, it's just interesting how you can kind of like convey information to people and not and kind of deny it. You know, somebody in the room knows that you're a spy, like in my particular case. But, you know, nobody, <laughs> nobody can really say for sure that, that they're telling the truth. You know, when they're blaming you, it's like, this guy's a spy. Well... How do we know you're not a spy? <laughs> so it's, it's just a lot of fun. You know, I can definitely play this once or twice at the beginning of a game group 
Uh, but beyond that, uh, you know, I'll be ready for something a little more meteor, you know, something a little more Euro-y or, or whatever you want to call it. All right, so that was The Resistance by Indie Boards and Cards. The next game that I want to cover is a little bit of an older game. It's The Hanging Gardens from 2008. This is a game that uh, I've been playing a couple times over the past uh, probably two years or so. And it's a game that I've consistently been enjoying. It's a game that was released by Rio Grande Games here in the States. It was designed by Din Lee Tan. Uh, again, released in 2008, plays two to four players. Uh, they actually say it's best with two players, and I've played this uh, with two players each and every time with a couple players. And it is uh, 45 minutes or so. Uh, eight and up is the age range on it. Now, this is a. I've never played a game quite like this. Now, it's somewhat abstract in some fashions. And what I mean by that is that there is no board to this game. You have cards, it's a card game that you play, uh, essentially, set collection of sorts where these cards are divvied up into uh, six equal section. So there's a, think of it as like a line down the middle and then two lines, uh, uh, two horizontal lines. So one vertical and two horizontal lines that makes six equal squares on the cards. And what you're trying to do is you're placing these uh, down in front of you in such a way that you're trying to make collections of different shapes on the cards it's it's really interesting because you can only place these on top of spots that are already on the table. And what I mean by that is you start off with a blank card of six. So the card that you place has to have all of the symbols on it that sits on top of the card that you start off with. You can't have anything hanging off of it, let's say, on the table. And every future card that you place has the same type of restriction on it. Now, it doesn't make placing difficult, but there is kind of a, I don't know if spatial is the best way to put it. You have to have like some vision depending on how you angle this card. You know, if you put it up and down, if you turn it around all the way, where you have to be able to see the different combinations and how you can place it and how you can't. So people that struggle with something like that, they'll probably have a hard time with this game. So there's a, a number of different uh, kinds of uh, symbols on these cards, and they all represent different kinds of buildings or gardens or, or whatnot. And you're looking to make uh, adjacent combinations of these once you get at least three of the same kind of, of uh, building uh, next to each other, then you can score them by placing a temple. And once you do that, uh, once you place a temple, you just place it on top of one of those spots, and then you can claim a tile. So there's a separate board that has a number of tiles. There's, uh, I believe, six or eight. Uh, here it's uh there's six different tiles that uh, will be present on there so two of them uh, you claim if you do a, a three tile uh, two are available if you do four and then 
the final two are available if you do uh, a, a five. Uh, if, uh, if you score uh, a combo of, of five minimums. So if you score five, you can actually draw any of the of the six. Uh, four, you can draw any of the first four. And then if you do a three, of course, there's only two that you can choose from. And you're looking to collect sets of these. The more of them you have, the more points that they're worth at the end of the game. Now, what's interesting about this one, again, is just the placement of the cards. It's really cool how you have to sit there and, you know, kind of, again, rotate them and, and try to build these sets of of these uh, symbols on there. Now, how much replayability does this have? You know, if I play it once, I'm fine with it. I probably wouldn't want to replay it uh, at least all too soon, but I definitely enjoy the game. It's definitely a keeper. I'll bring it out every once in a while. And uh, for me, it's got staying power. But again, it's not one of those that you'd probably want to be playing every game group. I don't say it's not just that interesting, but, you know, I'm I'm ready to play something a little more meaty, per se. It, it is a little bit on the lighter side. There's a, a little bit of strategy with how you lay out your board, but you're not affecting anybody else. You're essentially playing your own game in front of you, and how you're interacting with other people is by stealing the tiles away from them, you know, if that's something that they wanted. Again, this is Hanging Gardens. It's a game that I enjoy. Uh, I'd recommend that you definitely check it out. I can't say that it's definitely a must-buy, but it's a it's an enjoyable game. I give it a thumbs up. It's got a pretty good score on BGG. Uh, it's uh, 6.79, and, uh, you know, it's it's been out there for quite some time. I mean, this game is a five-year-old game right now. But, uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, again, that's Hanging Gardens by Rio Grande Games. Now, another game that I've played uh, fairly recently was The Village. This is a game by Marcus and Inca Brand. It was uh, the winner of uh, the uh, Spiel des uh, Jahres. I believe it was the Kenner Spiel, not the regular one. Ah, yes, the Kenner Spiel des Jahres uh, 2012. It's uh, a game for two to four people, uh, released in 2011, two to four people. It plays uh, a little bit over an hour, about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, it's rated for 12 and up, and uh, it's a really fun game. It's got an interesting mechanism to it. I believe we've talked about it before quite a while ago, at least probably a year ago on the show, where it's got an interesting mechanism where you're placing people out on the board and they die so there's multiple generations of meeples that you're that you're using they have stickers on them and i believe one little tipper that i had for this was if you purchase this game and you're placing the stickers on the meeples it really helps to use a set of tweezers i was initially trying with my fingers and you know having adult sized hands and little stickers and meeples doesn't work very well so definitely try to find a set of tweezers or, or something that'll help you position the sticker on there a little bit better. You know, that helps for aligning and even placing it centered on there. Definitely uh, consider doing that. But so it, you have multiple generations of these meeples and eventually they have to die and 
they go into the graveyard. And so you can't benefit from a certain action for all too long. I'm not going to go into too much detail on this game because I'm sure everybody's familiar with it. And I'm sure you've probably played it. But it's it's a very enjoyable game. I, I really like it. It's, um, you know, I don't know if it's something that I would want to play all too regularly. It's an enjoyable game. It's got a fairly high rating, uh, 7.68 uh, on BGG. It's board game number 65. That's pretty impressive. But, you know, it's an enjoyable game. It's got a couple of interesting mechanisms to it. And, you know, I definitely give this one a thumbs up. And, uh, you know, if you haven't tried it, uh, which is fairly unlikely, if you haven't tried it, uh, you know, definitely go ahead and, and give it a shot. I mean, this thing won Kenner Spiel des Jahres for a reason. And uh, that's because it, it's a fun game. Definitely check it out. Okay, so here's an even older game that I want to talk about very briefly. And uh, it's it's a game that I played recently called Cartagena. It was released in the year 2000. Wow, it's, uh, it's quite an old game, 13 years old now. It's by Leo Colavini. Uh, the version that I had was by Rio Grande Games. And this is a game for two to five players, uh, eight and up, plays in about 45 minutes, maybe a little bit less. And it's, it's a fairly simple game, very abstract. Um, this was one that I kind of wonder if I can introduce to my five-year-old son and play. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes over. Now, the basic premise of this game is that there's a bunch of pirates that are looking to escape the, um, there's some kind of fortress or prison, whatever you want to call it, uh, in uh, Cartagena, uh, Colombia. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just trying to get out and go to a boat. Uh, what you have in the game is you have a number of, let's say, we'll call them board tiles. And the board tiles, you, you line them up in such a way that they create uh, a long cavern or a tunnel. And then you have the starting point, and then the opposite end of the tunnel is the escape point where you put the boat. You have six meeples that you start off with, which are your pirates. And then there's a whole ton of cards that you play the game with. And what you're doing is you have a hand of cards that uh, each card will have a symbol on it. The symbols will be a sword, uh, there's a bottle, um, a couple of different things. And what you do is you play a card and you move one of your guys to that next available um, symbol that you just played the card with. So for example, if you play a sword, you take your meeple, let's say um, they're all still at the starting point, and you put it at the first sword. Or if you have uh, a guy out on the board, then you move. You can move any one of your guys to the next available sword going towards the boat. And what you're basically looking to do is to try to get all of your guys from one side of this tunnel all the way to the other. Now, eventually you will run out of cards, if you uh, keep playing all your cards and what you wind up having to do is you move your guys backwards uh, to be able to draw cards. So let's say if you're the, uh, the lead pirate, you're the furthest along, you can move your pirate backwards and go on top of a space with one other pirate. Then you get to draw one card. If you go 
back to a spot where there's two pirates on that same space, then you get to draw two cards. And that's as far as you can go. You, you can't have more than three pirates on one space. And so that's how you get cards. So your turns will basically be to play cards, to move forward, or you move back to draw cards. And uh, I mean, that's pretty much the game. It's, it's extremely light. It's extremely, extremely light. If it didn't have this pirate theme, I don't know if it would make any difference. It's very abstract. But, you know, it's, uh, it's a game that I think uh, my son would like. He might be still just a touch too young for it, but it's something that I can introduce him, introduce to him, and uh, it might be a little more interesting than playing Monza or, sorry, Sliders. And that's for sure. So, um, you know, uh, it's, it's an okay game. I can't say I definitely recommend it for people, but, you know, if you're looking for a light game, you might want to check it out. Not a whole lot of strategy. It's basically you're racing to get to from one side of this tunnel to the other. There is a lot of configurability with the tunnels. There's a lot of combinations you can do because they're kind of odd-shaped. As, as long as you make, and they're double-sided also, these tiles. So no two games need to be the same, essentially. And uh, there is two variants for this game. Uh, there is one that they say that's more luck, where uh, all of the cards are hidden. Nobody knows uh, you know, what anybody's got. And then the draw deck is hidden. And then there's an, another one, which is uh, more strategy, that's where everything's exposed. There's uh, all of your cards are face up on the table so everybody can see your cards. And then also the draw deck gets uh, laid out. I think it's like 10 or 12 cards that you put face up on the table and then people draw from that uh, when they uh, move their pieces back. They draw from that. When that whole dozen cards or so gets depleted, then you go to the draw deck and you put out 12 more. And repeat. So that's Cartagena. It's it's okay. It's a decent game. You might want to check it out if you like to play, uh, you know, simple games with kids or whatnot. Uh, again, Cartagena by Leo Colavini. And the final game that I want to talk about is Peloponnese. This is a game that was released in 2009. So it's a couple years old, about four years old now. It was released in 2009 by Iron Games, designed by Bernd Eisenstein. It plays one to five people uh, in about uh, 45 minutes or less, about uh, age ranges 10 and up. Uh, and now this game really kind of caught me by surprise. It was a game that was brought out to the table uh, at a friend's house, and I, and I didn't know too much about it. And then once I played it, I, you know, I kind of enjoyed it, and then, you know, I got to thinking about the game, and then I was like, hey, I gotta have this game, this thing is amazing, and it's a fairly um, straightforward type of game that combines a bunch of different things all into one, it's got some bidding, auction, action in the beginning, and there's tile placement, and it's got a really a funky method of keeping track of all of your resources, like uh, people and uh, food and so forth. The basic premise is you've got a civilization in ancient Greece that you're kind of growing. Uh, you're making your civilization, civilization larger as the rounds 
uh, happen and you're trying to protect them from, you know, natural disasters. And there's some natural disasters that come up uh, pretty regularly and you, you know, you have to protect against, uh, you know, famine and food shortages, or I guess that's kind of the same thing and, and weather and, and, and so forth. In the game, each player has their own board where they keep track of all of the things that they're accumulating, like uh, food and the amount of people. There's, uh, I believe they call it luxury. Uh, there's uh, five things in total that you're keeping track. And you're moving these little uh, wooden discs up along these. Uh, they're numbered usually like 1 to 20 or, or less, uh, like 1 to 10 or 1 to 20. So you're moving these. And one thing that kind of threw me initially was that some of these you go left and right, other ones you go up and down. So for example, the people tracker, it goes up and down. So uh, you're basically moving your wooden piece in columns. And then there's other ones like the food where you're moving it in a row. So you're moving it left to right and up and down. So it's you really need to pay attention to how you're moving these markers because it's really easy to move it in the wrong direction and kind of, you know, mess up your, your numbering. And depending on where you move it, it might help you. It might not, who knows, it'll probably help you actually, but, uh, you know, definitely be, uh, aware of that, uh, very aware of that. So you've got your own board where you keep track of, of your, um, of your stats. And then there's a, a central area where everybody, uh, does an auction initially. And, you're bidding for tiles and these tiles are come in two forms. There's uh, lands and buildings. So you start with a central tile and lands go to the right of your central tile and buildings go to the left of that. So you have to keep building certain ones in, in a particular direction and you can only build buildings. For example, a building will have uh, certain little icons on it only if they already exist in your area. And let me kind of uh, explain that a little bit better because uh, it kind of brings some questions to mind. So the building tiles, for example, will have little icons on them, which is the, the income that you get from the tile. For example, stone. Now, you can only place a tile that has stone on it if the tile already placed on the table by you has stone on it. So if you, for example, have wheat or food on uh, one of your land tiles, you need to place a wheat next to it. So if wheat's only on it, it, then the one that you place adjacent to it needs to have wheat. So there's a a little bit of a, a stipulation as to what you can place on the table in front of you and that will make uh, your decision of what you're going to be bidding for uh, kind of very important. And, you know, some people might steal stuff away from you. And so, again, you have a board where you keep track of everything and you're placing tiles, land to the right, buildings to the left. They generate income for you of various types, whether it's food or stone, etc. And then you use that to uh, mark on your particular board. Now, This game is like a fine balance of things because what you're actually doing is you are scoring two different kinds of of things in the game. And let me explain what I mean about by that. 
you are scoring based off of your final population. So population is, is fairly important. And you're also scoring based on the tiles that you have. Now, the rub with this is that your final score is, you know, whichever of those two values is smaller. So if, uh, if you kind of went crazy and you've got a huge population, but your tile score is very low, well, your low tile score is your final score in the game. So if you don't do a careful balance of those and, and keep them fairly close, that can cause your game to swing in a way that uh, really hurts you and everybody else kind of pounces all over you. That, that's uh, Peloponnese. Basically, build your civilization, manage your tiles, uh, manage your resources. There are a couple of times where like natural disasters come through and they will just annihilate you. They'll wipe out your food, people. I mean, it's just, it's just bad stuff. When they say natural disaster, it, it definitely is a disaster uh, for the most part. And uh, they happen at regular intervals. Sometimes there's something you can do to mitigate that a little bit, but uh, usually you need to be prepared for that stuff because you know it's coming. You just don't know exactly when. Uh, this also uh, is you can play it solo. I've never played it solo, but I've, I have heard that it's a fantastic solo game. That's one thing that I've been meaning uh, to get to the table and just check out. Because uh, if there wasn't such high praise for it, uh, you know, if it wasn't good solo, there wouldn't be such high praise for it. There's also uh, quite a few expansions uh, for this, uh, at least three or four um, that are, are very highly sought after, and they're actually kind of expensive. You get all four of these expansions, it costs as much as the real, the full game in some places. And uh, I haven't played with those, but I'm definitely interested in checking them out. Um, so that's uh, well, that's Peloponnese. It's it's a really interesting game. Oh, and uh, I also heard uh, some talk about it possibly being out uh, on the iPad. So iOS devices might be getting it soon if it's not out already. I don't know. I really don't follow iOS software very much, but uh, it might be something worth checking out. Again, this is Peloponnese, a little bit of an older game, a really fun game. It's it's different, which is uh, what kind of makes it interesting. It's different uh, just in, in so many different avenues. Uh, it's different where just the way that the scoring's done, you know, you think you're just owning the game by having like, you know, a high population, but then you wind up losing because, you know, you didn't do your tiles very well or vice versa. It's a really, really fun game. A little bit on the lighter side. It's definitely not heavy. I can't say it's like a medium weight game. It's it's definitely less than that. It's not an entry level game either. Uh, definitely not gateway, so maybe like uh, medium lightish, something like along those lines. Uh, again, that's Peloponnese. Uh, I really enjoy this game, and uh, check it out. You might too. Okay, that's it for the games that I wanted to cover for uh, for this show. Now, uh, the next thing I want to run through here, real um, I don't say real quick, but I want to run through is works had me traveling. Uh, a little bit over the past two weeks. Uh, I spent uh, a fair amount of time away from home, and I was out in Virginia. As I went through uh, the state, I was in a couple of different cities. 
Uh, I spent some time in Richmond over a weekend, so I got to go to three game stores in the Richmond area, and then I also went to Charlottesville, and I hit up one of the stores out there. Let me go over a couple of the stores and you know, kind of uh, give you a little bit of information on them and, and what I thought of them. The, the first one that I want to talk about is a store in Richmond. It's called One-Eyed Jacks, and that's Jacks, uh, J-A-C-Q-E-S, not Jacks, J-A-C-K-S. So it's called One-Eyed Jacks, and this was a really interesting store. It was in a, a very... Um, I don't know what I'd call the area. It's it's in a very um, um, area. It's in an area with a lot of boutiques. There was a lot of foot traffic on the street. A lot of car traffic out in front. Uh, it's I don't know the area too well, but it seems like it's definitely a place that people go to restaurants and maybe do shopping. And I don't know what else is around there, but it definitely seemed like a happening type of area. So when I jacks is uh, it's a one of those fairly long stores. We have some of these in a downtown Chicago area, where the storefront doesn't look like much from the front, but when you go inside, it's really long. It's kind of like narrow and then extremely long, very deep. So there was a, a fair amount of space inside the store, and their game selection, their board game selection, was actually really good. It had a lot of stuff, new titles, some older titles. Everything was hung up on, on uh, the wall, on the left wall as as you're walking in, and it went down at least half of the length of the store. And they had also a very notable section of Ding and Dent games which had some, you know, box damage or, or whatnot to them. But these games were 50% off. And some of these games were f- new games. You know, they weren't just games that, you know, had been sitting, you know, out in the sun for such a long time and they were all faded. Some of these were new. I actually picked up a copy of Targi for $15, which was a fantastic deal. It had a little bit of box damage on one side, but that's fine. The game inside was perfect. All right, so they had uh, that, which was uh, really cool. I was almost disappointed that they didn't have more games that were damaged because they were such good deals. Uh, th- the game store had uh, a pretty good uh, gaming section in the back. There was a lot of people who were playing all sorts of different games, card games, some board games. And then uh, the other side from the board games, they had puzzles and a good selection of magic cards. So it looks like they do you know, a fair amount of board games and magic. Towards the back of the store, they had uh, some miniature stuff out there you know, with the paints and all, which, uh, which most stores have. So uh, parking is kind of tough. There's a big parking lot in the back of the store that I was able to park in. Uh, good luck finding anything else around there it just it was just so jammed at least that's how it was on the saturday that i was out there so one eyed jacks in richmond a fantastic store definitely definitely recommend it if you're out in the area definitely check it out then the next store that i went to was uh, called dragon's den this is a store that was fairly close to my hotel when i stayed out out in richmond so I went over there and, uh, you know, gave it a look through. They had, it was another store that had, 
you know, kind of a narrow storefront uh, from the street. This was actually in a strip mall in a, a very large uh, uh, shopping center area. There was a lot of stores through there and a lot of restaurants, you know, the, your typical, uh, you know, busy shopping mall area, I guess. So it had uh, the narrow storefront. And again, it was uh, very deep when you get it and got inside. Their uh, selection of games was, you know, it was okay. They had some of the more popular titles, no real imports or anything like that, but just, you know, your typical FFG, uh, Munchkin style titles. They had a lot of people playing uh, in tables in the middle of the store. So there was a ton of people in there. And always, you know, when you have that, it's, you know, if you're in there for shopping, it's always kind of awkward to kind of get around people. But, you know, this is, not something that's unique to Dragon's Den. This is every single store. You know, when you've got open gaming in the main sales area, you know, it's going to be kind of cramped. So they had a fair amount of uh, CCG minis, uh, decent selection of games. Uh, I kind of gauged them a little bit. I mean, they did have a copy of Targi, so, you know, it was some recent stuff, some more euro titles, not just like the mainstream board game titles like, uh, you know, the FFG line and so forth. And, um, you know, again, it was a little cramped on a Saturday, but there was a lot of people in there, which is a good thing. That's definitely a good thing. Parking, very easy because it's in a big shopping mall area. So it was, it was, a, very, it was a fairly nice store. Uh, like, again, that's Dragon's Den. The third store in the Richmond area, and I believe that one, uh, Dragon's Den, that was in Glen Allen. I think that's the city's name. And then I also went to a game store called FTW Games. And this was a really nice store, really large. It had a huge, huge, huge gaming area. When I was out there on that Saturday, there was uh, miniature stuff set up. There was a fair amount of people in there playing. It looked like they were all having an awesome time. The store area, which is what I was mainly looking to check out, you know, like the merchandise and so forth. Uh, they had a lot of miniatures. Looks like miniatures are their bread and butter at this place. There was a small board game selection, which had more of your mainstream FFG. Um, you know, they had uh, Carcassonne. They had, uh, let's see, you know, some Days of Wonders products. I mean, beyond that, no real Euro-y type of stuff. But, you know, if you're looking for that kind of Euro-y, you know, hot release type of stuff, you know, you're probably going to get that at a game store that specializes it. You won't find that just about anywhere or you'll get it online. So let's see what else they had. Uh, you know, a, a good selection, you know, a fair selection of mainstream stuff, tons of mini stuff, miniatures. They had cases, the foam, and uh, the gaming area was just massive. And that had uh, all the miniatures set up. So that was FTW, FTW Games. Uh, it was a nice store, very clean parking, ample parking, tons and tons of parking, really easy to park. And uh, the neighborhood was pretty nice too. Then on uh, my last day, as I was heading to the airport, I found out that there was a store in Charlottesville. So I hit that up right after lunch, right before I went to the airport. And the store's called Seville's Hobby uh, games and or hobbies, games and toys. Seville's hobbies, games and toys. It's a, a very uh, unique store. It almost kind of reminds me of uh, Hobbytown USA, 
but uh, done in such a way where it's like Habitat USA on steroids. <laughs> so this store had uh, a little bit of everything. I mean, it was a, a true hobbyist store. They had a, a good selection of board games, some really unique titles that I was really surprised to see, like some Aaliyah titles that you normally don't see in most stores. I really don't know if they were just titles that didn't sell and they'd been there for a long time or, or whatnot, but the selection was uh, was was really good. But the store also has lots of other stuff too. They have RC, you know, planes, cars, trains, uh, like the scale model trains. There's toys, educational stuff. It's a little bit of everything. And um, if you're looking uh, to get some board games and maybe some gifts for people. This is a very interesting place and you'll probably find something for everybody in terms of the hobbyist kind of stuff. It's right next to Staples. So the parking is fairly ample. Um, and uh, yeah, that's Seville's Hobbies, uh, Games and Toys. And my understanding is that that's like the place to go in Charlottesville, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, that's it for the stores. Uh, out of all four of those, I'd probably say One-Eyed Jacks was uh, the shiny penny in terms of the games that uh, interest me and the selection, in particular, the uh, Ding and Dent section. So if you're out there in the Virginia, uh, Richmond area, definitely check that one out. And the other stores are really nice, especially if you're into miniatures. All right, the final thing that I want to talk about is hot off the presses netrunner has finally been dethroned on the hotness on the hotness list at bgg this is something that really surprised me i just noticed this today i don't know if anybody else noticed this but they've been dethroned netrunner is now number two on the hotness list and number one is the unlikely game of the doom that came to atlantic city yes that's the game that has been causing a big stir on the news circuit over at BGG. It's got a lot of people talking and not necessarily in a good way. Uh, this is a game that was on Kickstarter. It went several times over on its funding. It got like $125,000 from backers and a ton of backers. I really don't remember how many there were, but there was a lot of them at least to, you know, give that much, uh, at least to give that much uh, money towards the game. And the game got canceled. Uh, the guy that was running it basically, I guess, quit his job or whatnot. And uh, the money ran out and they can't do it anymore. So, sorry, it got canceled. I, I didn't back it. So, it doesn't really affect me too much. But it kind of um, made me think about stuff a little bit. And I'm really curious to see what everybody else thinks. And so the question of the show for this episode is going to be with the recent uh, canceling of the doom that came to Atlantic City, has this caused you to think differently of Kickstarter games and the decision on whether you're going to back them or not? So I, I, I'm really interested to see what everybody thinks about that. So go th uh, through and respond uh, on the guild or uh, go to thisboardgamelife.com and find the show, uh, episode 27, find the show and, and make a comment on there. Or you can even uh, 
you know, instead of typing out a whole bunch of stuff, you, there's a voicemail widget that is available on the website. So you just go to thisboardgamelife.com and on the right hand side, click the widget and you can leave a voicemail and it now works on iPhone and iPads as well. So it'll be extremely easy for you to leave a comment and uh, I'll use it on the show. So for me personally, I was kind of wondering about this and um, I'd have to say that uh, this kind of shows you that funding of a game doesn't guarantee the game's ultimate success. Even the fact that a game goes several times over, you'd normally think like, well, let's say if they've got a $10,000 funding goal, they reach 11, maybe maybe it'll fail, maybe not, whatever. But if here's a game that was $125,000, which was, I think, four times over, four or five times over what their goal was. And like a year later, it, it just goes poof, which is, which is disappointing. Um, so there's, there's no guarantees with any of this kind of stuff. Um, for me, I'll probably stay with more proven uh, companies, but even that's no guarantee. I mean, even if a company like Queen Games is doing a Kickstarter, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to come through with it. There's always a possibility of it not going through. The possibilities there, the likelihood of it, I would hope is less because larger companies or proven companies, they've got uh, more on the line because that's... That's the way that they make money in, in the game business. And if they get tarnished, you know, that's going to be a huge, huge deal. And it'll probably hurt them in many more ways than one. Um, so I'll probably be less apt to back something by lesser known companies. But I mean, that's always been the case for me. I'm more drawn to stuff by uh, companies that I know or, or people that I know that have had success in the past. But again, that is still no guarantee. And some of these games are fairly expensive. There's Kickstarters out there where people have dropped hundreds of dollars on the games, like Zombicide, when you factor in all of the all of the expansions and add-ons and all that. For, for me, and that's not how I back games. I typically don't go for the more expensive games like that. There's kind of a cutoff that I have in my head for a game. So if it's probably more than $50, $60, the chances of me are backing it are, are less. Several fold. Well, first off, the more money you drop into the game, the, the riskier it is. So if you back a game for $200 because you're looking to get all the miniatures, all the add-ons, it's going to hurt a lot more if you lose that money. But if you lose 40 bucks, 50 bucks, I mean, that doesn't hurt as bad. I mean, it still can, but it's, it's not as bad. And then for me also, the games are usually cheaper uh, in retail after they're released. And then you know you have a product. If the game releases, you can get it cheaper and you will get the game 100% for sure if you order it afterwards. So that's uh that's kind of my takes on it it i don't think it'll change what i do too much because i'm more 
you know, I'm not a huge Kickstarter backer to begin with, although the first couple of months this year kind of uh, uh, <laughs> tell a little different because I, I backed uh, a couple of projects that I mentioned last show. And that is out of the norm for me. Like right now, I haven't backed anything in a couple months, probably at least two months. And I mean, there's nothing out there that really interests me at this point either. So I don't see myself backing it. But if it's a well-known company like Queen or if it's something that Minion is doing or possibly even Tasty Minstrel, it's it's something that I would be more apt to back than somebody who has never done a Kickstarter before. So that's my opinion. I'd love to hear yours and what your thoughts are. Again, uh, respond on the Guild or comment on the show notes in uh, the board game, this board game life website, and even consider leaving a voicemail. I'd love to hear your thoughts and we'll play it on the show. Now, moving on to the game lust section for this episode, there's a a couple of games that I just want to talk about uh, kind of in brief. They're pretty much all Gen Con release titles, I believe. The first one that I want to talk about, and this is one that has been, uh, it's been getting a, a fair amount of press from people is trains now this is a game that uh came out last year in japan and uh aeg is bringing it to the states and it's called trains i'm not even going to try to well okay okay i will try to pronounce the designer's name it's hisashi hayashi hayashi i think and it is uh, kind of like a uh, a deck building train game of sort of sorts. Uh, it's been getting a, a lot of press by a lot of people and very, very favorable um, uh, opinions of the game. And it, it's something that I checked out a couple of the videos and it really sparked my interest. Uh, it's something that I definitely want to, uh, I definitely want to play this game, and I'm probably leaning towards uh, picking it up as well. Although, if I get to play it beforehand, uh, you know, who knows, that may or may not change. So it looks like uh, you, know, you can get the Japanese uh, version uh, or now. It's available, and uh, shortly AEG is going to have it available. So uh, hopefully uh, this is something that's going to be available uh, uh, fairly readily uh, once uh, Gen Con comes around. So that was Trains by AEG. Uh, The next one is Augustus. Now, this is one that I've been wanting for quite some time. It was up for the Spiel des Jahres. It did not win, unfortunately. That was won by Hanabi. But Augustus is one of those games that definitely sparked my interest. It is... uh, uh, I've heard so many people call it like uh, board game bingo or gamers bingo. Uh, some people say it's an unfair uh, um, analogy or whatever you want to call it. But this game looks interesting and it's something that, you know, I, I definitely want to check out. Uh, there's I've heard so much favorable stuff for it. I feel that uh, I definitely need to have it in my collection. So that's Augustus. Uh, released this year, designed by Paolo Mori, and uh, the publisher is Hurricane, Hurricane. Then the next one is 
uh, that I'm really interested in is Ascension, Darkness Unleashed. This is yet another Ascension expansion uh, done by uh, Justin Gary and Stoneblade Entertainment. Uh, this is a standalone one to two player uh, expansion, like uh, a couple of them that they've had so far. And it can also be mixed with, um, I forgot which sets. Uh, it can be uh, combined with Rise of Vigil or, 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 or any other Ascension games. Although, in my experience, you don't necessarily want to combine the games that are too far different from each other. So Chronicle the Godslayer was the first one. I don't know if I'd want to combine it with this because the ones that came out more recently, or they seem to combine better. But anyway, uh, this is the latest uh, Ascension release. Uh, they seem to be coming out fairly regularly now because Rise of Vigil didn't seem to come out too long ago. I'm I'm definitely kind of interested in this. I'm also feeling a little burned out of sorts uh, on on this just because there's so many releases to, to it. So I, I've got the similar type of feeling with Dominion. And particularly Dominion, the last two, um, what was it? Uh, oh, the last one escapes me. So it was Guilds and then the one right before it. I, I, I didn't care for them as much as previous ones, so they were kind of a disappointment. Ascension hasn't disappointed because I, I really enjoyed Vigil and Storm of Souls was awesome. Uh, Immortal Heroes was good. It's just too many of them, you know, and that that's kind of like my disappointment. Um, too many good ga- good games, maybe. And when we play, we usually stop playing previous ones. So when Vigil came out, we kind of stopped playing Storm of Souls and Mortal Heroes and all those. I can't even tell you the last time that we played the Chronicle of the God Slayer or uh, Return of the Fallen. I think that was the second one. But we haven't played those in such a long time. And if we get Ascension, Darkness Unleashed, we'll probably stop playing Rise of the Vigil and, and so forth. Although I think that's one of my favorites right now. So I don't know. Rise of Vigil uh, will probably be around for a while. So, you know, again, I'm interested in this. I'm just kind of getting burned out on them just because there's too many of them, but they're still fun. So I'm, I'm kind of on the fence there, but surely at some point I'll, I'll have it in my possession. Then uh, the next one is Spirium. This is a game by uh, Asmodee, uh, designed by William Edia, which also did Kalis. I don't know if he's had too many games since... Kalis, well, I guess there was that follow-up to Kalis. Uh, Kalis, Magnus Cardus, or something like that. But it's uh, a game that looks really interesting. Plays uh, two to five people, 75 minutes or so, according to BGG. And it's a, a worker placement game. It's got a lot of cards to it. I seem to love my card games, if you couldn't tell already. And this is one that's also been getting a fair amount of buzz on it. Uh, a lot of people excited about it. I'm definitely interested in checking it out. And if it's any good, I'll, I'll definitely be interested in picking it up. Theme on it is uh, Steampunk, which uh, I can't say I've got too many Steampunk games. So it'll definitely uh, fill uh, a nice uh, missing 
niche in, in my collection, I guess. So that's uh, Spirium, Spirium uh, by Asmodee. Also definitely something that I'd be interested in picking up. That's it for this show. It was a, a fairly short show or a shorter show. So uh, let me uh, close it out by saying definitely check out our website at thisboardgamelife.com. It's been recently redesigned and there's going to be some new content going up there uh, within the next couple of weeks. Join our guild if you haven't joined already. It's guild 1267. It's guild 1267 and BGG, this board game life. And we have a Twitter account, T Board Game Life, the letter T Board Game Life, all one word. This was not available, so how do you do T? Actually, it wouldn't fit because there's a character limitation on there. So uh, uh, follow uh, this board game life on Twitter. And then there's uh, the new YouTube channel that we've got where there's uh, four videos out there right now. There's a couple more in the works. I'm going to start releasing more videos now that uh, I'm not traveling for work. And look for those soon. I'm really excited to get them out. And uh, that's it. So uh, this concludes episode number 27 of This Board Game Life. I hope you enjoyed the show. My name is Rob. Thanks for listening, everybody. And I'll catch you all in the next show. And I'm